the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Whether we consider ourselves artists or not, according to today's guest, Mark Nepo, the deeper we go into the creative process, the more attuned we become and the more we join with everything around us. Mark teaches the importance of art in bearing witness to the sorrow, depth, and joy of life. He joins us to talk about what it means to be human and how we can find the courage to let our originality shine. Mark moved and inspired readers and seekers all over the world with his number one New York Times bestseller, The Book of Awakening. Mark has been called one of the finest spiritual guides of our time. In 2015, Mark was given a Lifetime Achievement Award by Age Nation, and in 2016, he was named by Watkins Mind, Body, Spirit as one of the 100 most spiritually influential living people. He was also chosen as one of own Super Soul 100. Mark's newest book is Drinking from the River of Light, The Life of Expression. Welcome, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you, Joan. It's great to be back with you. Oh, it's great to have you back, Mark. I always enjoy speaking with you. And today we're going to talk about your new book, Drinking from the River of Light. And in this book, you focus on how we can use our creativity as a means to unfold our spiritual growth. How do the two relate, Mark? How does creativity go with spiritual growth? Well, sure. So, and I think that this has really shifted for me in, in my life, as you know from my other work. I'm a long-term cancer survivor and I'm in my 60s now, but that was in my 30s. And that changed my whole my whole understanding and experience of creativity. So kind of the, the metaphor that can help us start right here is breathing. You know, just just as we can't say, oh, well, for this hour, we're only going to inhale. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Well, we must inhale and exhale. And the way the heart breathes, the heart also must inhale and exhale. And the way the heart inhales is by feeling and perceiving. And the way that it exhales is by expression. And it doesn't really matter what form that takes. You know, it could be in the formal arts of the things we think of as art, dance, music, song, writing, painting, sculpture. But it also could be gardening. It could be taking car engines apart and putting them back together. It could be, you know, uh, making sure that you send something to everybody you know on their birthday. It could be the whole point is that when we give ourselves wholeheartedly to what's before us or what calls us, then we allow the heart to express itself and the heart must express itself in order for us to stay well and vital. So creativity, if you will, is the energy that comes off the heart in the same way that the sun gives off light and warmth. When we're present, authentic, and holding nothing back, our creativity is the warmth and light that comes off of us. So you're expanding upon what we believe creativity to be and how we can incorporate it into our lives. Well, yes, because it's it's the act, the engagement, and the activity of being wholehearted that brings us alive. So, you know, when I work on these books, it's not, it's not that I'm creating a book. It's that by being so engaged 
it actually creates me. I grow for having listened to it, be in conversation with it, trying to express it, and then the words are just the trail. So there's an interesting thing that happens to all of us. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, you know, making things, with making a record, publishing a book, you know, painting a painting. But when you go all the way back and when we're children, you know, so if you're in a schoolyard and you're at recess, you're, you love feeling your body, you're spinning around in the schoolyard. And then a teacher meeting well comes over and goes, wow, you know, you're really good at that. You should think about becoming a dancer. Or I'm singing in, in, in the playground and a teacher says, wow, you have a good voice. You may, you may want to become a singer. And, and what happens is, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But then we start putting the the definition and worth outside of us. Then it becomes, well, am I really a singer? If it, if when am I a singer? Is it when when a song is published, when a record is made, when am I a writer? When a book when a book comes out, when you know. So so what happens is we need to stay a verb and not become a noun. If you love singing, then just sing. As soon as it comes out of your mouth, you're a singer. If you like putting your hands in the earth, you don't have to become a gardener. You are a gardener. Just put your hands in the earth. So it's a, this really gets to, which is a chapter in the book, about the difference between giving attention and getting attention. You know, in the world, in the outer world, we're often told, you know, if you want to get ahead, you got to get attention. Well, there's a certain truth to that. And, certain, you know, I have to put a resume out and send things out and make an interview and say, let people see who I am. But that that doesn't define me. So when I start, you know, the definition of who we are, the worth of who we are comes from giving attention, not getting attention. So, you know, when I was a boy and I started all of this and didn't know what it was, you know, I mean, I started... I was giving attention to things and I, you know, I started writing really for two reasons. You know, one is a younger person before, you know, it was like, wow, something is looking like it's like there's a light on that tree and it's wondrous. And I'm like, and, but then it's leaving. Oh no, wait, I didn't, I, I needed to stay a little longer. So I would try to write to keep it in view a little longer. I would give my attention to stay engaged in life and learn from it. And also, you know, when I, you know, when I also started writing more deeply when in high school, the first woman I fell in love with dumped me and broke my heart. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's an archetypal passage. And, um, and so I started, you know, talking to myself uh, to heal. Well, I realized as I started to heal that I wasn't just talking to myself. I had started a conversation with the universe. So we are, when we feel confused or less than I I just encourage all of us I try and I try to do this myself give my full attention to whatever is before me and that requires us to slow down the pace of life uh, we, we must slow down and you know it's normal for all of us me too that things make us speed up you know and and so there there is no life other than where we are all the spiritual traditions speak about this in different ways. And one of the menacing assumptions of modern life is that life is other than where we are. And you see this play out in social media with young people, too, you know, younger generation, this, this fear of missing out. Oh, no, it's over there. Mm -hmm. If I could just get over there. Or I see someone I'm not in a relationship and I see a couple walking down the street and they seem happy. I don't really know if they're happy. But I say, oh, if I could just be like that, if I could just get over there, then life would begin. And, and all the different traditions, the meditation practices, and all, all the, the acts of expression, the acts of creativity, they all bring us back to now, to here. And we have to slow down to enter them. You know, you know, one of the things I'm blessed at this time of my life, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm blessed I get to travel all over. And one of the, the paradoxes is that I, I do travel all over. And when I get wherever I'm going, I get there to affirm for people that there's nowhere to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a privilege to do it. <laughs> Mark, a few moments ago, you mentioned social media and, you know, 
What I think social media does is it, it creates this place where we end up comparing ourselves to other people's lives. And what people post is what I call their A-game. You know, it's their highlight reel of life. And I think it causes a lot of us to, to wear this mask of not wanting to show who we really are and what we really have going on in our life. Yeah, and I think, and, and why that's so, so difficult is that who we are in our full humanity is how we experience the fullness of life. We can't do it by hiding who we are or pretending we're only one aspect. We all, you know, medieval monks, when asked how they practice their faith, said by falling down and getting up, which mm-hmm. I love. I love that. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and I think what ha- what's happening in the modern world is, is so let me back up to say, to, 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 to frame this. So, you know, 150 years ago, we needed to cut wood or get coal or, you know, to have heat. And, you know, we needed to do a lot of labor to have heat and light and warmth and food. Well, wonderfully, we don't have to do that now. So what do we do? We have gym memberships and soul cycle and we, you know, go for hikes or, you know, we have to do physical aerobics to compensate for the loss of physical labor that has happened because we've gained in progress. Well, now let's move to the to us today, and we have all this access to technology to amazing things, which is wonderful. I don't want to give up the progress, but they're not substitutes for authentic living. They're tools for authentic living. So even here, you know, this is wonderful that you and I can talk like this. It's a miracle, actually. It's like we're in the same room, but it's not the same as if we were in the same room. And And therefore, so I don't want to give it up because we're states away and we can do this. This is wonderful. But if I, if I was down the street from you, I don't want to do this instead of being with you. Right. And so what we need to have now is develop forms of spiritual aerobics to compensate for even more progress. So what does that mean? Well, that means like, you know, I can go online right now and I can see, you know, a, uh, some beautiful photographs, even video on top of Mount Everest. Well, that's amazing because I may never get to go to the top of Mount Everest in my life. But seeing that is not the same thing as climbing a mountain and seeing the view, just seeing a picture of the view, because we we had given up the climb. And there is actually a different, and that's part of the creativity. That's part of the expression that, you know, to actually do it, is something else entirely. And so if I can't do it, that's fine, but I need to not give up pathways to authenticity and relationship. So this is so this so let's go one step further about about technology. Technology is a wonderful tool. It's not a code to live by. It's not a world view. It's like a screwdriver or a hammer or an extension cord. But if we don't meet the outer life with an inner life, we don't have to have things figured out. We just need to be present and inquiring and, and leaning into life. But if we don't, then the way that water will fill any empty hole, the characteristics of technology will become our default value. So that means I will be split focused. I will not be where I am. I will, can never go fast enough. I can never meet up with everything I think is better than me. All of those things will just flood in. And so you take something like um, the reality TV world of the last 25 years. Well, it, you know, it gives us the illusion, like, and I'm not criticizing any one show. I'm trying to talk about the underlying values under it. So something mm-hmm. like American, American Idol or The Voice or any of these shows, you know, I can sit here and I can get all involved and vote and feel like I'm in community and relationship. And then the show's over, I turn it off, and I haven't been in relationship. And my my energy for relationship has been dissipated, and I'm still lonely because it's not real relationship. So there's nothing wrong with watching those shows, but if I am looking to those experiences for relation, they are not substitutes for relationship, for true relationship. 
Mark, do you think it's going to get better? Yes, I do. Do you think <laughs> that that people are starting to awaken to the messages that you're teaching? Well, I do think that it will it will get better, and I think that we go in cycles. You know, my book before this one was a book on community, looking at communities throughout history and cross-culturally. And what I learned from that was there are great big waves in the ocean of time. There are, like, we've been here before. We didn't have as many tools and, and as many, like, amazing techno- technological things and, you know, but we've been here before. And there's been long periods of time where people have been like we are today and pushing each other away. And, and there have been long periods of time when we've come together. So I do think it will get better. I do think it will cycle. And and what I would offer is this, that, you know, just as in the human body, in your body or my body, you know, we're considered healthy as long as we have one more healthy cell than toxic. Now, I'd like a lot more, (laughs) but as long as I have one more healthy cell, I'm leaning toward health. So if we imagine and understand humanity as a global body, every one of us, Every soul is a cell in that body. And therefore, all the things we're talking about, they don't just matter in terms of my life or your life. When we can be healthy, we can and authentic and kind and loving and inquisitive, then we contribute to keeping the global body healthy more than toxic today. And so our charge is to keep the literacy of the heart alive and to help make humanity a healthy global body. The book is Drinking from the River of Light, The Life of Expression by Mark Nepo. If you would like to get more information about Mark and his work, you can visit marknepo.com. And as always, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, and be sure to sign up for our mailing list. Mark, in our final moments, what is the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Oh, I, I would love to leave, leave folks with that everyone is an artist. Every, all we have to do, you know, anytime that we're confused or feeling less than or feeling sad or in pain, I just encourage everyone to open your heart and give your full attention to whatever is before you. The tree outside, your cat, your dog, the ice melting on the road, whatever it might be. And the universe will start flooding back in to make us whole again. And so that that's what I'd like to leave us with. Mark, you have a program, Flames That Light the Heart, and you teach about the heart work that's required to be a spirit in the world. Can you tell us a little bit about this program? Yeah, so this is, it's actually um, 10 lessons on living with, with meaning, truth, and kindness. And there is an audio box set where I, of me, uh, where I've explored these 10 lessons. And there's also through Udemy online, um, I filmed a video a ten, of these 10 lessons, which folks can, can get. Mark, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Your work is so important in that it teaches us how to live with meaning and kindness, and that is needed today more than ever. So thank you for spending time with us and for sharing your wisdom. Oh, you're so welcome, and thank you for your good work. It's great to be with you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. 
this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a certified transition coach, reinvention expert, and speaker who empowers people who are stuck, in pain, or ready for change to release the struggle, gain clarity, and evolve their highest purpose as they move through life's challenges and transitions. Linda is here today to discuss responding to criticism. Welcome, Linda. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Joan. It's always a pleasure to be here. Linda, everyone gets a dose of criticism from time to time. I think we've all experienced someone's version of constructive criticism that, to be quite honest, felt a lot more hurtful than it did helpful. How can Mm. we respond in a positive way when this happens? Well, no doubt. Even constructive criticism can sting. If the intent was to be productive, it's much easier to process. But frankly, even if it wasn't from the kindest of hearts, we can always find ways to respond positively and grow from the encounter. Here are some foundational points to consider before responding. Resist the temptation to counterattack. You know, as humans, we feel before we think. We're just built that way. Unfortunately, this can get us in trouble. Even constructive criticism can be hard to receive, so it can create intense emotions that derail our rational brain. It may feel good at the moment, but if we react with a snarky comeback, we're really just throwing gas on a fire. Instead, focus on the facts not the feelings the criticism evokes. This gives our rational brain a chance to contribute, which helps the strong emotions subside more quickly. Let's take this a little bit further. If you become defensive, the sender will quickly sense your hurt feelings and likely back off, soften, or even change the message, which then can obscure any beneficial advice they intended to give you. Sometimes the sender really does want to help, but perhaps their delivery just isn't the best. The takeaway is to keep your emotions in check and focus on the facts so you can respond rather than react. Linda, as you said, we feel before we think. So we really have to be conscious and intentional so we can respond versus react. Do you have any suggestions for how we can do this? Well, it's probably simpler than we think, but simple isn't always easy. First, recognize that it is normal to have a strong reaction. So if you feel yourself getting defensive or upset, number one, pause. Take a few deep cleansing breaths or do the old counting to 10 practice because it really does work to discourage that knee-jerk reaction. And two, if you still feel like you might lash out, tell the person you'd like some time to think about what they're saying and get back to them. There's a lot of benefit to this approach. First of all, you remain calm and professional. And second, now you've given yourself the opportunity to learn more about yourself, the situation at hand, and the person delivering the criticism. The simple but not always easy answer is to remember to pause and breathe and give your rational brain a chance to respond first. It's so easy to allow our insecurities to surface when we receive criticism. How can we accept constructive criticism without allowing it to make us feel bad about ourselves? Uh, Great question, because that's often what happens, whether the criticism was intended to be helpful or not. So here's the key. Consider the source. Is the criticism coming from a person whose opinion you value? Or is it coming from someone who regularly criticizes others or feels like they know everything? If it's the latter, you can comfortably evaluate their criticism without taking it personally. If it is from someone you respect, examine the content to discern the wisdom of their words. While it's quite valuable, it's often even harder to accept criticism from someone you respect because even constructive criticism from these sources can diminish your confidence. Resist the temptation to unleash your inner critic or allow it to chime in with choruses of, oh, I knew I wasn't good enough. Instead, remind yourself of your many talents and reframe the criticism as an opportunity to better yourself. We all know it, but beating yourself up gets you nowhere. Is there anything else you suggest we do? 
Well, one of the best things you can do is to ask questions for clarity. This allows you time to settle down and encourages the sender to restate their feelings in ways that may make more sense to you. Also, discern whether the criticism is only one person's opinion or if it's something you've heard before. If you have heard it before, then perhaps at least part of it is good advice. Either way, it's important to stay mindful of your strengths and not dwell on the criticism so you can forge forward, armed with greater knowledge and determination. Using all of these pieces together will make or break how you receive the message. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Linda and her work, you can visit her website, livinginspiredcoaching.com. And as always, to hear more great tips from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. We'll be right back. Are you experiencing foot, knee, hip, or even low back pain? If so, this may be the result of weakness or instability in your feet. Hello, I'm Dr. Kyle Epicino, chiropractic physician and founder of Health on Main, located in Little Falls, New Jersey. Your low back pain, hip, knee, or foot pain may be directly related to a problem located in your foot or your ankle. The good news is there's an amazing medical device that may be the solution that you're looking for. An arthrosis, or more commonly referred to as an orthotic, is a custom-made medical device that is placed inside your shoe in order to correct the joints of the foot while standing, walking, running, jumping, or even just climbing stairs. A quick Google search can show a good deal of research that proves that custom-made orthotics can benefit children, athletes, the elderly, and everyone in between. Orthotics are also ideal for people suffering with plantar fasciitis, flat feet, or pes planus, rheumatoid arthritis, high arches, or general foot discomfort. I myself have been using custom-made orthotics in my own shoes on a daily basis since I've been six years old, and I can honestly say that they've made all the difference. With a properly made orthotic, maybe you can experience relief just as I have. I'm Dr. Kyle Apicino, chiropractic physician and founder of Health on Main, located in Little Falls, New Jersey. For an absolutely free consultation where you can learn more about orthotics and if they can help you, give me a call today at 973-832-6722 or find me at healthonmain.info. Recently, I was flipping through a toy catalog, shopping for a gift for a French child, when I stumbled upon an item that had brought hours of enjoyment to my children. It's a square box that has different shapes cut out into each side with matching pieces. The goal of the toy is for children to fit each piece into its corresponding hole, thus learning to recognize shapes and how to fit like things together. My boys spent hours placing the various shapes into their respective holes. Most times, the pieces fit together with ease, but on occasion, they would work tirelessly trying to make the wrong piece fit into the wrong hole, an oval in a circle, a square in a triangle, a rectangle in a square. As I reminisced about them sitting on the floor working at this task, I began to think about how this activity mimics what we do throughout our life, work to make the pieces fit. Hi, this is Joan Herman, here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Sometimes our choices fit perfectly, but other times, no matter how much energy we expend, they just don't fit. How many times have you been in a friendship or romance that didn't work out? In most situations when the breakup occurred, anger, heartbreak, and disappointment soon followed. Then blame. Someone must be at fault. Someone was wrong. You tried so hard, so why couldn't it survive? Instead of being consumed with anger and resentment, did you ever stop and think that maybe, just maybe, it was simply a wrong fit and that no one is to blame? Like the pieces in the toy, each of us has an individual design derived from life experiences. We are each as unique as a circle, square, triangle, or octagon. When we make the right match, everything fits perfectly. But when we have the wrong pieces, it doesn't work, no matter how hard we push or on what angle. It would be ridiculous to say something is wrong with the circle because it didn't fit in the square. We recognize the shapes as being different, so why do we make those claims about people? Why do we assign blame to a person and then spend the rest of our life being angry and resentful, thinking about what could have been? Perhaps a new perspective would be to view each of us as the pieces of the toy, unique with our own characteristics, perfect in our design, but not always a fit, no matter how hard we try to squeeze it together and how much we want it. Perhaps looking at life experiences in this way may make it easier to let go and stop assigning blame. It may enable us to forgive and move forward. So the next time you experience the loss of a valued relationship, rather than being consumed with anger and bitterness, just release it. Try to view yourself and the other person as shapes, different from each other, 
but with their own purpose, beauty, and value. Perfect in their individuality, but they just don't fit. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. For more information and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. I want to be riding my bike. But at this moment, he's fighting leukemia. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is saving lives with pioneering research and care. And we'll never have to pay St. Jude for anything. Please take a moment and visit stjude.org today. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Does this sound familiar? You take care of everyone else first. You don't make self-care a priority. You hate asking for help. If you answered yes to any of these questions, you're not alone. According to our next guest, Suzanne Falter, no matter how busy or frazzled you are, you can get back to you. Suzanne helps those suffering from trauma, grief, and burnout find wholeness and fulfillment. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, Women's Day, and Self, among others. And her new book is The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you so much for joining us. Delighted to be here, Joan. Thank you. Suzanne, let's begin by talking about you and what happened in your life that put you on the path to doing the work that you do today. <laughs> okay. It's, um, it's, it's a story, all right. So uh, I was a committed, driven workaholic, completely disconnected from myself, overproducing in every corner of my life, and not taking much time to really take care of my true deep needs back in 2012. And in very short order, the business I had built burned out because I had too much work and I couldn't sustain it. I started to have some health problems and simultaneously the relationship I'd been in for a year and a half ended and I had just moved in with this person and suddenly I'd lost the place I was living as well. So all these things happened and I was in a kind of a chaotic space. And then my daughter, my 22-year-old daughter who had moved to San Francisco to become a healer and kind of pursue this esoteric thing she wanted to do and she was basically living with me. Uh, she dropped dead from medically unexplainable cardiac arrest. And I had had dinner with her a few hours earlier. She was acting a little weird. As it turns out, she had epilepsy, very well controlled, but one in a thousand epileptics can die very suddenly like this, something called SUDEP. I didn't know about it, nor did she. Nobody had ever told us about this possibility, but there I was. And six days later, we had to take her off life support and her life ended. And during that time, that six days, I became incredibly aware of what a critical moment this was in my life and that if I was going to live and she was going to die, I was going to have to redo my life to be in balance, to be whole, and I was going to have to live my values. I was really into the money before this happened, which is one reason I worked so hard. And the minute she died, money became intensely unimportant. And everything I really cared about came into very sharp focus. And I felt myself really being called forth to become a better, stronger person, very much like she was, because Teal was the opposite of me. She was really a grounded, loving, compassionate person, couldn't have cared less about possessions or ambition or money or any of it. She was very present. She would travel around the world with her little guitar and some cash in her pocket from waitressing. <laughs> she was a musician, so she played and sang on the streets and all sorts of cities. And she was just really very present in the moment. And I learned a lot about how to get back to myself and how to live in a much more self-compassionate way in the two years of grief that followed. Because for two years, Joan, I did not work. I just took myself totally out of the equation. And I focused on having a life that was meaningful and, of course, grieving and really getting back in touch with what I needed here and now. And that was Teal's legacy because she taught me how to do that which was really learned from her journals, which she left behind. 
Suzanne, I had a similar experience. It wasn't with the loss of a child, but in a period of six months, my 23-year marriage ended, my mother died, and my sister died. And that was the start Mm. of all Mm. of the work Mm. that I'm doing. So I understand everything that you're saying. I had similar realizations. But what I want to ask you is, knowing what you need to do and actually doing it are two very different things. How did you pull yourself out from that grief? I really felt like her death was so shocking and so radical that there had to be a lesson in it for me. I I didn't think she just died in vain. I really felt like my job now as a mother was to become a better person, the kind of person Teal was. And this was how I was going to fulfill her legacy. Because like I said, she wanted to be a healer. Nobody really knew what that meant, including her. But she kept saying, I'm going to get this big healing gift. This healing gift is going to come to me. And we kind of like, you know, just nodded politely, right? But in fact, here I am teaching people about self-care and sharing little pieces of her journal and the lessons I learned after her death, which is healing work. And I feel like I found the purpose in that crisis. And then all those other factors, the bad relationship, the stressing, stressful job, the home that wasn't a right fit, all of it was taken away to deliver me to my right place. And I did a similar thing. And David Kessler, who worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and and he's a grief expert, and he recently published Mm -hmm. a book, The Sixth Stage of Grief, which is meaning. And he developed another stage to the Mm -hmm. model. And, And that was what I did. I found this work. And I believe that there had to be a reason as to why I went through all of those things. So I think finding meaning is really a key to healing. Yes, we're ready for this message as a, you know, culture, as a group of people, as a, as a society, we're ready to delve into issues of meaning. And we need it. And we need self care more than ever, because the times we live in are intensely stressful on all fronts. And I know that I experienced extreme mental exhaustion. I didn't know how to move forward. And you and I are talking about extreme situations of grief, but people can feel this way from a variety of life situations. So what do you advise to combat that mental exhaustion? It's so critical to begin with the question, what do I need right now? One of the things um, I write about in the book is to tune into yourself, to ask yourself, what do I need right now? My premise is that we have um, been, we were born perfectly aligned. Every little cell in our body was attuned towards telling us what we need and helping us get that. And that would keep us in optimal running condition. But then life happened, right? And we grew up and we had traumas and stresses and responsibilities and all of that shifted And as women, especially busy women, we are often much more conditioned than the less busy women to saying yes and putting other people first. So a lot of my work is around helping people get back to their inner knowing, to that sense of alignment. And it begins with asking yourself habitually, what do I need right now? And then maybe it's a drink of water. Maybe it's something simple. And you can go out and arrange that for yourself and it'll give you just a little bit more clarity and perhaps confidence to prioritize yourself again. And eventually the question gets answered with, I need a new relationship or I need a much more interesting job. And eventually we begin to gain in our empowerment and our ability to create what we need. And then I would assume we would set better boundaries. (laughs) Right? Hopefully. (laughs) And, you know, I have to do several chapters on boundaries and conscious decision making and making requests and things like this in the book. Because seriously, when we don't have boundaries, everything falls apart. And it is so easy to not have boundaries because often, uh, as in the case of my childhood, I had to take care of the adults in my house. So I didn't have any boundaries. I didn't know what a boundary was, you know, and I I was just kind of a, a little doormat by the time I became an adult. And I've really had to learn how to do the uncomfortable thing of taking that step and saying no where indicated and holding space and being polite. You can be firm. You can always be kind, but you can be strong as well. And I was always afraid to be strong. And I really learned how to be strong and how to set some boundaries. And, you know, in that two year period, I had some people around me who presented some boundary challenges. And I had to be very, very clear. 
it was like uh, there were three different people in a row who really pushed my boundaries. And it was like the universe was giving me a test saying, come on, can you do this? Lab, show us again. Let's see if you can really do this. And, and in fact, boundary pushing opportunities will arise when you commit to the idea that you are worthy and you deserve self-respect and the opportunity to say no when necessary. The book is The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care. Suzanne, where can our listeners go to get more information? Well, I have a website, Suzanne Falter, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-F-A-L-T-E-R.com. Suzanne, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? At the end of your life, will you feel you took good enough care of yourself? At the end of your life, will you feel like you could serve the people around you really, truly effectively, even by taking care of yourself? And the answer always is yes. If you give yourself that chance to tune in and say, what do I need right now? Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. It was a pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Are you someone who wants to be healthy and makes the commitment to get healthy only to feel like you failed when you go out and about and don't have anything to eat so you eat that piece of pizza or that hoagie? Hi, I'm Sarah Outlaw from Natural Health Improvement Centers of South Jersey and Des Moines and Real Life Outlaw. I was that person, so I am right here with you. I want to give you my best tips on staying healthy so that you can go out and about and not feel like you are starving to death. My best tips for finding things to eat is actually to plan. If you don't plan, plan to fail. Pack things like organic beef jerky, or hummus and guacamole along with some vegetables, cucumbers, carrots, things that you can easily put into a little cooler or into a baggie, things that you can grab and go so that you're not constantly looking for something to eat. Always making sure that you're packing a water bottle so that you're not tempted to buy a soda or buy some coffee with some junky creamer in it. Those types of things are important for your health. So I definitely recommend that you take some time the night before you go out to prepare those types of things. If you have kids, the same things apply. It's so easy to ride through the drive-thru and grab this or that for your kids, but it's even easier to take a few minutes earlier in the day or the night before to make some preparations to make sure that they have the snacks that they need. I also love to make a muffin tin up and put all sorts of different fruits and veggies and dips in those and put it on the table if I'm going to be home during the day for my kids. Those types of things are amazing to keep your kids healthy and strong. I hope these tips helped you stay healthy and well. Start the year defining your priorities and with a plan to stress less. Hi, this is Angela Vlachonchik, and I'm a stress management specialist from Bridge Management Consulting, offering teachable stress management skills. Taking time to reflect and look at your life, what's working and what's not, is important. So how can you stress less in the new year? First of all, be true to yourself. Be honest. Take out a notepad and see how you're doing with your mind, body, and soul. What can you do to bring balance back into your life? Is there any area that's taking over and what area needs more attention? Then, instead of a to-do list, create a being list. Who do I want to be? What do I want in my life? For example, I want to be calm, appreciative, funny, generous. Items that you personally value and want in your life. Write down everything that comes to you first and then what actions you can take to bring that into your life. For example, I want to be more appreciative. So what I'm going to do is verbally compliment people who are helping me. I want to be more calm. So the first 15 minutes of the day, I'll spend in quiet reflection. These are just a few tips on how you can bring about the new year that you desire. For more info on stress management seminars and workshops, visit bridgemanagementconsulting.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. to your health. Joining me today is Mark Anthony, the founder of Prospect Fitness located in Brooklyn, New York. Mark is also the vice president of operations for Diet Typing Systems, an online personalized diet therapy system. He's here today to discuss mitochondrial efficiency. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Joan. Thanks for having me on today. So, Mark, mitochondrial efficiency, this sounds so important. What exactly is it and how does it impact our life? 
Mitochondrial efficiency has to do with how effectively your body produces energy. It also deals with how well you care for your mitochondria, which ultimately leads to a healthy body. Mitochondria are little bacteria-like organelles, structures located in our cells. There are many functions of the, of the mitochondria. However, the primary purpose of mitochondria is to produce energy for our bodies from the food that we eat and the air we breathe. Mitochondria can also regulate the atmosphere of the cell, respond to hormones, and are responsible for cell death. Roughly 70 billion cells die in an adult body every day. So then how does our diet affect mitochondrial efficiency? Our diets probably have the greatest effect on mitochondrial efficiency. Without proper nutrients like B vitamins, coenzyme Q10, alpha-lipoic acid, and antioxidants, the mitochondria do not function well. A poor diet can also lead to the destruction of the mitochondria's DNA, which research is learning can lead to diseases like cancer, Parkinson's, and autism. Can we help our bodies create more mitochondria? Absolutely. Exercise is probably one of the best ways to build mitochondrial density. Our cells have a range of a few dozen mitochondria to several thousand per cell, with most cells having one to 2,000 mitochondria. Mitochondria can possibly make up to 40% of our biomass. The more the body senses the need for greater energy through exercise, the more the cells will pack them with mitochondria. Since mitochondria are part of the body that burns fat, the more you have, the greater your chances for weight loss success. Also, you will want to do both strength training and cardio exercise to build mitochondrial density. Where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? As always, you can visit our website, prospectfitness.com. Mark, thank you so much for being here. This is such an interesting topic. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. If you're a person living with any discomfort, have trouble sleeping, or the many other issues that come with getting older, I have great news for you. You have a chance to do something for yourself and at the same time help a U.S. veteran. My name is Janice Coviello. For years, I've been living with knee pain and discomfort every time I did something active, even walking. But after eight knee surgeries, countless bottles of Advil, and hyaluronic acid injections, I was desperate for relief. My doctors told me me a knee replacement was my only option. To avoid another surgery, I found another solution, a transdermal gel known for reducing joint pain, faster recovery from injuries, enhancing strength, and promoting natural tissue repair. I started using the gel with amazing results. For the first time in 17 years, I could run without Advil. In addition, I sleep better and have so much more energy. But just don't take my word for it. Go to foreveryoung.com to learn how the purchase of this product can benefit you and also help a U.S. veteran. That's the number four, everyoung.org. You find it challenging to keep a positive frame of mind and well-being in your busy lifestyle? Are there so many things that you are responsible for that you find there is limited time and energy to care for your own well-being? Hi, my name is Laura D'Amato and I'm a certified reflexologist practicing in holistic healing therapy for wellness in mind, body, and soul. What if you were to take some simple steps daily that could improve your own well-being and make you feel more content, happier, and healthier? I specialize in helping people to improve their health by releasing stress, anxiety, and underlying causes of illness. Here are some tips for a recipe for wellness. Begin and end each day in gratitude. Look for the blessing in all your circumstances, even during the challenging times. Add an ample rest to help your body do the work it needs to do, even if that means taking a nap during the day. Feed your body healthy food by eating fresh, non-GMO vegetables and fruits while limiting processed foods. Drink water and bless and enjoy all that you eat. Add in 10 to 20 minutes of a mixture of sunshine, fresh air, and a form of exercise like walking. Sprinkle on much laughter and you will have a recipe for creating your own well-being. This is Aura D'Amato. If you are interested in learning more, please view my website at auradamato.com or you can book a healing session with me by phone or in person at 732-224-8441. Do you believe that there can be a silver lining from tragedy and that blessings come in disguise? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Your attitude determines how you view a situation and how you move through it. A tragedy is defined as an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress. 
We understand the meaning of those words. However, I believe the important component is how we view the situation. What may be a tragedy to one person is nothing more than a bump in the road to another. And while we can agree that events such as death, divorce, or job loss create less than desirable circumstances, each can be viewed and handled differently from one person to the next. The key is that person's outlook. There are people who see the glass half full in all situations and others who see it as half empty. We have a choice about how we view what occurs in our life and that choice determines how we will transition through a tragic experience. So how can you get through a tragedy? Recognize that you have a choice in the situation. We often believe that we are a victim of circumstance and that this will be our lot in life. We think that we will never recover. The key to moving on is to know that you have the power to change the situation. No matter how devastating the circumstance, you have the power to get through it. You are not a victim. The choice is yours. Never suppress your feelings. Hurt, sadness, and grief are all normal emotions and they should be felt. The problem occurs when you allow yourself to stay stuck, when you assume the role of victim. Get help if you cannot do it by yourself. Read books and seek information that can help you get your head in the game. Reach out to friends and loved ones. Isolation can make the situation worse. And seek professional assistance if you're overwhelmed, depressed, or have suicidal thoughts. Remember, you're not alone and you have a choice. How we experience our life comes from how we view what we experience. As Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. Thanks for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.